So we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses, uh, remember we did verses 38 through 39 last week. And so today, guess what? We're going to go from verses 40 to 42. All right, I'm going to just start in 39, 38, and I'm going to come down to 42. Continuing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Beautiful words of Christ. Fernando, I don't know, since this is kind of just narrative, I didn't really have a, a title. Maybe I'll give you one up to, at the end. So, yeah, you always on my mind, though. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 38. We're going to read 38 through 42, but our main text is 40 through 42, because we did 38 and 39 last week, or the previous week. And it reads, the word of God, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. We're going to spend a lot of time there in verse 40, 41. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your beautiful word, God. We thank you for this word that is just so marvelous, Lord God. You're letting us see the righteousness of the kingdom of God, Lord. Uh, we thank you for this righteousness that we get to read and see, and not only read and see, but as we implement it in our lives, we see the righteousness of the kingdom of God beginning to work, Lord Jesus. God, we just thank you for this moment. Speak, God, as you've been speaking to me throughout the week, Lord, especially this morning, God, and the revelation and understanding of the scripture, God. I Pray that you allow this word to just stay in the hearts of my brothers and sisters, God, as they go from this place, Lord. May they just dwell on your word. May they ponder on its truth, God. And may you continue just to cleanse us by your word and make us renewed and sanctify us by your truth, Lord God. Your word is fruit. Your word is food, God. And we thank you for it, Lord God. We thank you for the peace that comes just from feasting our eyes on it, God, and seeing you speak, hearing you talk, and just, uh, God, seeing you in the scripture is marvelous and lovely Lord. Lord, we thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name, his authority, God, that we even approach you, Father. Amen. Amen, amen. Mm. So, here in verse 48 through 42, I, I want to show you something here. In verses 38 through 42, if you notice that in this text, Jesus doesn't give us a clear explanation why he's telling us what he's telling us. He doesn't give us a reason or the warning as he has done in these other verses. Because if, if you look at the other texts that we've looked at over the past couple of weeks, for example, if you look at murder and, or anger, he tells us the consequences of anger and how it's related to to uh to murder or, and he, and he, and he shows us with, with divorce. He, he shows us how there's problems with it and, and the problems that can result from, uh, adultery and lust of the flesh and lust of the eye. And we see the, the consequences of that. And, and, and we see, um, the consequences of being loose with your words and just saying different things. And he, he explains to us that using, uh, certain phrases or taking an oath to solidify your word is not good. And he calls it evil. So he gives us an explanation why he is saying that and so uh, as you go to those scriptures that we looked at in the past he he tells us why he's given us this word he gives us the explanation and the warning behind it but when you look at verses 38 to 42 he really gives no clear explanation and why he's saying what he said he says um do not resist an evil person whoever 
slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one to him also. And he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have his, your coat also. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And if uh, give to him who asks and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. He doesn't really tell us why he is giving those those teaching the commandment. He doesn't give us explanation. He doesn't give warning as he has done in the other places where he talks about adultery. And he says that if you don't correct this and cut it off, you're in danger of hell. He tells us the warning behind why we shouldn't do those things. But in this particular verses of scripture, he doesn't really make that clear on why he's commanding that. And and, and the reason I, I think that is, is because if you, in Luke chapter six in Luke's gospel, what Luke does is when he's doing this, this sermon on the mount, some say that Jesus was given the same identical uh, sermon or it could have just been a different one where he's just given the same sermon over. But in Luke's gospel in, his, in chapter six, he actually combines verses 38 through 48 into one teaching. Because if you look at here in our text, Jesus splits it up. He goes from 38 to 42, and then he goes in 43, and he says, you have heard that you shall love your enemy. Um, you shall love your enemy and hate your neighbor. So he's going to a whole nother teaching here in Matthew's gospel. But in Luke's gospel, in chapter 6, he combines it all. He combines all of Jesus' teaching, the eye for an eye, the two for tooth, the turn the other cheek. He combines that with love for your neighbor and, and um and, and loving those who, who treat you wrong. He combines it all in one teaching. And he combines it all of the, he, he combines all of that teaching under the heading of, you are to love your enemy so you will be like your father. And that, that's the main heading that Luke's gospel, um, teaches us under. It's us children of God being like our father and, and loving our enemy. And therefore we're turning the other cheek. And so Luke basically puts that whole teaching that Jesus has here in Matthew 5, under that one title, to love your enemies, to be like God, to be like the Lord. And so I think the reason that Jesus doesn't do that in 38 is it's behind that same reason. He's he's blending verses 38 through 42 into his next teaching, which is in 43, which ultimately is, I want you to be like God. I want you to model your ways like God. I want you to model your ways like me. And so that is the, that is the, the, the theme that is undergirding Jesus' teaching here in this, this, uh, grip of, of text. He's showing us, I want you to be like God is. How God turns the other cheek. How, how, how God is merciful to his enemies. How God is loving to those who may not love him. He, he said, I want you to be just like that. I want you to be just like me. Because see, that's what Jesus was. Jesus, when he was condemned, when he was brought before Pilate, when he was brought before the high priest, he took the slaps on the cheek and he didn't revolt. I mean, he didn't respond in like manner. He took the shame. He took the speeding, he, the spitting. He, he took the abuse and he didn't respond in like manner. So when we look at these texts of scriptures, we have to have that thought in our mind when we're reading these verses. Of how am I going to be like Jesus? How is this text teaching me to be like Jesus? So when we look at verse 40, I want you to have that thought in your mind. When you look at verse 40, when it says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat. Also, we must be thinking, how does this relate to Jesus? How did Jesus demonstrate this? What does this have to do with this? Now, this text on its own is a difficult text. 
He says, if somebody is, wants to sue you for your shirt, let him have your coat also. Jesus is basically saying, just give it all to him. And so when, when, I, when I'm reading this text, I'm, I'm saying, Jesus, that's pretty harsh here. If somebody is suing me for my, my shirt, Jesus, you're saying to go ahead and just to give them my, 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 my cloak also, to give them the coat also, Jesus, that doesn't seem right. Jesus, that doesn't seem just that if a person has already taken something else from me, that I should just go ahead and, and give them my coat as well. See, commentators say that during this period, when a person was really poor and they didn't have any money and they owed a person, since they didn't have the money to pay them back, the creditor would then sue them for the shirt literally off of their back. They would, they would sue them for the shirt literally off of their back or they would sue them for the cloak that they were wearing. So they would say, okay, you can't pay me your money that you owe me, this debt that you owe me, then I'm going to sue you for your coat. And I'm going to sue you for your, your shirt. And what we don't understand, because we live in a different context, we don't live in the first century, but a, a shirt and a cloak was very important to first century life. It wasn't like you and I. We have tons of shirts. We have tons of jackets. We can choose. Sometimes we have a leather jacket. We have a corduroy jacket. We have a rainproof jacket. We have our nice jacket that's going to match our, our clothes, our, our shoes. We have all types of jackets. But you must understand that in first century life, they didn't have this luxury. They didn't have multiple jackets. They didn't have multiple cloaks. As a matter of fact, your, your, your cloak and your tunic, it was literally like your, your blanket when you slept that night. That is what they, that's what they used to cover themselves from the winter cold. That is what they used to cover themselves when they were walking in the heat in the desert in the sun. It was their tunic. It was their cloak. So this cloak that Jesus is saying, just go ahead and give them to them was really important to their life. It was really valuable. It was so valuable that in the Old Testament, if a poor person pledged his cloak to you, you would have to give him his cloak back at night so he wouldn't freeze. Matter of fact, uh, let's, I want to show you that. Go to scripture. Go to uh, Exodus 22 with me. Exodus 22, verses 26 and 27. Are we here? Let me get my place marker right here. Click. Exodus 22, verses 26. I'm going to start at 25. Like always, we just want to step back. Look what it says here. It says, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. Here goes our key verse in 26. If you... If you ever take your neighbor's cloak, remember that cloak that Jesus talked about giving over that coat? It's the same thing as cloak. Um, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, if he's given this coat or this cloak as a pledge, as collateral for a loan, you are, look, to return it to him before the sun sets. For this is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And if it shall come about when he cries out to me, I will hear him for I am gracious. Do you see how important this cloak is, right? See, it is not just this little jacket, this little dinky thing, thing that we have. No, it is something that is vital to living 
to first century life and even to them in the Exodus. Your cloak was everything. You would freeze if you didn't have this cloak. Let me give you another text. Go with me to Deuteronomy uh, 24. Twenty-four. Look at verse uh, ten. Verses ten. Look what he says here. He says, "When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter his house to take his pledge. You shall remain outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you." Twelve. We hear. All right. Twelve. If he is poor, if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return the pledge to him that he may sleep what in his cloak and bless you. And it will be righteous and it will be righteousness for you before the Lord, your God. So are we seeing how important this cloak is. It's not just a little thing. So now think about Jesus back in our main text in Matthew 5. Let's get back there. Oh, my Bible is really ripping apart. We're back to our main text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40. So if you think about it, if you are a poor person and a person has come to sue you for your shirt, and not only your shirt, but then, hold on, here, Jesus now comes along and says to not only just give me your shirt, yes, but also I want you to give him your cloak as well. Do you see how big of a, a sacrifice this is to the person who's really going to follow Jesus in this? Because think about it, if they're already given their inner garment, which is, which is their shirt, if they've already been sued for that, Jesus is now saying, go and give me your outer garment, which is your cloak. If you think about it, they're going to essentially have nothing left. They're essentially almost naked. See, this is a strong command to the people that are hearing these words. We, we hear those words of Jesus and it doesn't seem really big, but these are challenging words that Jesus is speaking when he's talking here to the first century people. And you, and you have to think about it. The, the people that followed Jesus were most likely the lower class people. It wasn't the, the rich and the wealthy. If you remember in Matthew chapter 11, John's disciples come to Jesus. And they're questioning, wondering, well, John wants to know if Jesus is truly the Messiah. And Jesus confirms that he's the Messiah by saying, tell him that the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, I know biblical scholars debate this text. They debate it. They say, okay, is he talking about the spiritually poor or is he talking about the physically poor? But in Matthew's gospel, he differentiates between the spiritually poor and the poor. Because we already seen that in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So he, he differentiates between the poor and the poor in spirit. And so if, if you also couple that with God's uh, concern for the poor in the Old Testament, it's not hard to believe that Jesus referring to the physically poor, just like James was referring to the physically poor when he said that the poor have the gospel preached to them, fulfilling Isaiah 61, 6. So the people that are hearing Jesus talk here on the mountain are probably not people, people with multiple tunics and multiple shirts. These are people that just probably have only one tunic, one outer garment. And now you've been sued for this inner garment. And Jesus is saying, go ahead and just throw in the outer garment as well. 
that is a big deal. You got to put yourself in the place. Imagine if you were someone and you owed someone a personal debt. And they were suing because you couldn't pay. They were going to sue you and take all of your, your pants and your shirt. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, give me your coats also. But, but, but Jesus, it's cold outside. Give me your coats also. See, this, this is a, this is a challenge. This is a hard saying. Jesus is essentially saying, give them everything. But Jesus, it's going to be cold. It's winter coming. Give him everything. Yes, you're right. It is winter is coming. Yes, it is going to be cold. And yes, it will be uncomfortable. But you must understand that the creditor who is suing you for your cloak, he also knows this as well. The creditor also knows Exodus 22 through 26. He's aware of what God's word says about keeping a poor person's cloak. They're aware of what's going to happen. He's aware how important a clerk and a cloak and a shirt is to first century life. He understands that it is a major sacrifice. But what I believe Jesus is doing when he says to give him everything, he's really bringing out the spirit of Romans 12, 20, which is a fulfillment of Proverbs 25, 21, which reads, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him drink for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. See, that is what has been carried out when we turn the other cheek. That is what has been carried out when we give over our shirt and our tunic to the one that wants to take it from us and knows how it affects us. We are, we are doing this. We are giving over ourselves and we are actually heaping some coals, as the scripture says, over the head of the person of the one who has this angst against us or who wants to take this from us. See, Jesus is showing us that there is power in being meek. He's showing us that um, the kingdom of heaven, the citizen of the the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, when it comes to being done uh, unjustly, they will respond in ways that are pleasing to God. Even the people who are doing us wrong. There's a meekness or there's a, there's a power in being meek that Jesus is showing us here. There's a power in turning the other cheek. There's a power in giving over even our last to the person that wants to take from us. And, and I believe concerning this meekness and the power of it, that this was the major catalyst or this was the major thing that made the nonviolent movement of the 60s and the nonviolent movement with Gandhi and Martin Luther King so impactful. Because if you think about it, if you think about the civil rights movement of the, the 60s, you had people like Martin Luther King and the civil rights fighters. And, and what they would do is they would go in some of the craziest place. They would go to the, to the, to the racist South and they would do this thing called sit-ins. Are any of you familiar with sit-ins? So you, we know the sit-ins. They would go into places. They would go into restaurants that only served white only. And they would sit there and they would be called all types of names. They would be spit on. Their food would be thrown on them. But yet they wouldn't respond in like manner. They were showing meekness. They were carrying out what Jesus is saying here in the scriptures. And we see how that worked out. We see that they were ultimately victorious. And not only that, you had in the civil rights movement, you had bombings. I don't know if you guys remember the 16th, 16th Street uh, Baptist Church bombing where four little girls were bombed because some white supremacists went and planted dynamite in the church and they killed the four girls. But if you notice, the people in the civil rights movement didn't respond in like manner and go and plant other bombs. They... They kept the tactics of nonviolence, of not responding in like manner. They kept the tactics of meekness of what Jesus is saying here. And we see what ultimately happened. 
They became victorious in their efforts. So there's ultimately, there, there is this power that Jesus is showing us in having this meek spirit. This meek spirit of having the power and authority to do something, but yet choosing not to. Yes, we could have exercised our right if somebody wants to come and take our cloak. We could have went to the law of Exodus and said, no, what about what God says here? But no, Jesus said, go ahead and give it to him. He's showing us that there's a power there. You must understand that in your own life. There's a power in being meek. There's a power in not just giving over. There's a, I mean, there's a power in, in giving over when people come at you. There's a power in that. We have to turn the other cheek. We have to give up the, 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 the tunic or the cloak, even if it's, it's our last. Why? Because we want to exercise the kingdom ethics, the kingdom of God ethics that are so powerful in the life of many others in history and will be powerful in our lives. The other point that I want you to consider here as it relates to turning over your tunic to the one who wants your shirt is this. The hearers that are right there on the mountain with Jesus, they didn't know that Matthew chapter six, verse 25 through 33 was right around the corner. See, think about this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 33, Jesus tells this same crowd not to worry about their clothes, not to worry about the things that they want, not to worry about those different things. He says, you should just seek first the kingdom of God and God will provide all those things for you. Matter of fact, let me read this to you. This is Jesus. And he's talking about clothing. And he says this, he says, And why are you worried about clothing? This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. He says, Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was, um, all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the first, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, we have the foresight of understanding that Jesus was going to say this. But when Jesus spoke this claim to them that if a person is suing you for your tunic, I'm sorry, your shirt, to go ahead and give you your tunic, they didn't understand that this was coming around the way. See, see, Jesus is saying the reason that you can give over your tunic, the reason you can give over your shirt, because you have a God who will supply all your needs. See, that is why we can go and give our last. That's why we can do those things even when it's dire, because we know that we have a God who will supply all of the needs that we want. So we can just focus on doing righteous. We can just focus on doing the things of the kingdom of God. See, that, that's the beauty of this. It looks dire in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus is saying, go ahead and give them everything. But in Matthew chapter 6, he says, God will got you and will supply everything. Do you see the difference here? And, And that is the beauty of the scriptures here. That if we seek the kingdom of God, he will supply those things, those things that we lose because we're honoring him. He will meet the needs so we can go ahead and just follow his word. We can go ahead and just walk in righteousness and not worry about this material thing. See, what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 6, he's assuring the crowd that if they just focus on the righteousness of the kingdom of God, if they focus on just following God, he will provide a means for them to survive. He will provide that tunic that they lost. He will provide that shirt that they lost that they were being sued for. He will take care of my brothers and sisters. Our focus just has to be on doing the righteousness of the kingdom of God. 
and not worrying about, well, what if I do this? I'm going to lose this. Or what if I do this and I'm not going to have enough for this? No, you just focus on doing the righteousness, the works of Jesus. That is what your mind needs to focus on. God will make a way for those other things. He will make a way there. You just focus on carrying out the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Which means if we have to give whatever it is, we know that God will supply our needs. As Paul told the uh, Philippians, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we're now free to go and just live the righteousness of the kingdom of God because we know that God has us. So you, you must understand this radical love, this radical generosity, this radical kindness that Jesus is talking about here. Guess what? When the gospel, it frees us to actually live that radical love and that radical kindness out. And what I mean by that, and this is difficult, I want you to really get it. When I say freed, it's this. Prior to us encountering Jesus, prior to us encountering Christ, we cannot just pour out and give to others. We cannot just pour out and love others. Why? Because we didn't know if that love would be reciprocated. Do you understand? Prior to us meeting Jesus, we would not give our last as Jesus is saying and turning over our tunic. We would not do those things. Why? Because we didn't know if we were going to have enough to survive ourselves. So that is why it was so, it's so easy for a person in a fallen world not to do these things of scripture. But the gospel comes and tells us that because Jesus will supply our needs, we can now do those things that the kingdom of God is now requiring. See, this is good news to the world. This is good news to the world. And when I say good news to the world, I am not saying the gospel proper. I am not referring to a personal salvation of being reconciled to God and having our sins forgiven. But I am talking about the full gospel. See, the full gospel includes not only man's reconciliation to God, but man's reconciliation to one another. And that is what the gospel helps us to do. It helps us to give our last. It helps us to give our last tunic, our last shirt. Why? Because we have encountered God and we know his love. And so we want to express that love. And see, and that is the, the full gospel. And that is the good news to the world. See, you must understand this, my brothers and sisters. We must embody the gospel, not just in speech, but in our lives, in our actions, not just in the spiritual things, but we embody the gospel everywhere we go through meekness, through peace seeking, through mercy. That is what we do. And we do this because God has reconciled us. And so now we can carry out these efforts without worrying about a loss. And that is what Christ is showing us here. We can do these good deeds. We can do these gospel works and not worrying about our shirt and not worrying about our tunic because we know we have been reconciled to God and he will provide all of our needs. And that is why this verse here in Matthew 5 is so powerful because we would never do that. We would never give our last. We would never be this humble. We would never be this meek if we didn't encounter the love of God first. And so the love of God now frees us to do these things that Jesus is calling for in the scriptures. Now I want to remind you this. 
Because we say this still, it still seems tough, Jesus. You're still telling me to give over my last, my, my last that I have over to just maybe complete strangers. But you must understand that Jesus does not ask his disciples to do anything that he is not willing to do. As I met with Pastor Brian this past week, he was saying, you're right. He said that it's a sign of a true leader. A true leader would not ask someone to do something that he is not willing to do. So in order for us to carry out what we're looking at here in verse five, we must look to Jesus as our example, because he actually went before us and lived out these things that he's calling us to do. Let me give you a point and example. Turn with me to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Are we here? Matthew 17. Now I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you the relationship between Jesus's teaching about turning over your tunic, your outer garment, your last. I want to show you how that relates to what we're about to see here in Matthew chapter 17, verse two with Jesus. And I'll show you how he has already gone before us. And that's why we can look to him and that uh, being able to accomplish what he's calling us to do in Matthew five. So we have here, we have Jesus. Let me just kind of give you a context. Jesus, he's taking uh, Peter and James and John. He's taking them up the mountain. And he takes them up the mountain. And guess what he does? He transfigures right there in their presence. Look what it says in verse 2. Or oh, I started one. It says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a mountain by themselves too. It says, and he was transfigured before them. And it says, and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. Does anybody see what I'm getting at here? Here you go. You guys going to catch it up to this. What happens after he transfigured before them? He transfigured before them. It says his face shined, his clothes as white as light. Then what happens after he transfigured? After the, after the vision that the, uh, James, Peter, and John have, it says that Jeter comes, Jesus comes up to him. And now Jesus is back looking to like a regular first century Jew. The glory that they just seen is no longer there. Now Jesus is back to looking like a regular first century Jew. Okay. So back to, to, to the point here. So again, let's, let's, let's catch back up. So we have Jesus going up to the mountain. Remember, he transfigures right before him. They said he's shining, uh, his face is shining like the sun. His garment becomes as white as light. This is the vision that Peter, James, and John are getting. They're seeing Jesus in his glory. And then it says after that, the vision ends and Jesus comes up to him and that glory is no longer there. The point that I'm getting at is that these disciples, Peter, James, and John, they actually got a glimpse into Jesus in his glorified state. They actually got a vision of the Jesus that is going to return on the clouds of angels. They actually got some type of a potential glimpse into Jesus, the lamb on the throne. They got a glimpse into the glory of Jesus as he is. But then that glory goes away. The point that I'm making is that Jesus 
put away his garment. He, he became naked. He threw away that glory so that he can become a man. See, he gave more than a tunic and more than a shirt. He put aside his eternal glory, the glory that angels would worship to where in Hebrews chapter 2, 9, it says, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than angels, namely Jesus. So Jesus went from this glorified state of being worshiped by angels to Hebrews says to now he's a little bit lower than angels. So he put off his glory. He became naked as the person that was sued for their tunic and gave all that they got. He became naked. He put aside his glory so that he could become a man and take on our debt. Do you see that? The reason that the person was being sued for their tunic is because they had a debt to pay. And if they couldn't pay their debt, they were going to take all that they have. Jesus gave all that he gave the glory so that you and I, our sin debt could be paid. So that we can now be before him. So Jesus has given way more than we can ever that is why Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53 two, he says, talking about the coming of Jesus, he says this, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. The glorious second person of God, the, the second person of the Trinity, the son of God is going to have no glory at all. There's no form. He's going to lose it all. He's going to set it all aside. Why? For you and I, so that he can become a man. So that he can come to die on a cross. So that he can come to be our suffering servant. He gives way more than a shirt and a tunic. Way more than a shirt and a tunic. To become a man. So that he can do like Job said in Job 29, 17. To snatch us from the teeth of the lion. To snatch us from the teeth of Satan. To snatch us from the teeth of pornography. To snatch us from the teeth of drug use. Of whatever thing that has had you bound. He put aside that glory to come and be our savior. That is why we are motivated to give all that we can. Because Jesus has put aside glory, the eternal glory, set that aside to become a man, to look just like a regular person. But those disciples, they got to see a glory. They got to see a beautiful sight. But Jesus said, nope, now it's back to work. Glory set aside. It's time to go back to work. It's time for me to finish the works of the Father. It's time for me to go take on these beatings, to take on these spittings, to take on this crown. Glory is set aside. It's time for me to do the thing that my Father has called me to do, which is to be the lamb that was slain, which is to be the lamb that has given his life for us. He put the glory aside. He gave them a glimpse, but he said, now it's time for to put it aside. I'm back to looking like a first century Jew. It's nothing special looking about me. I'm going to this cross on your behalf. That is why we can praise God. That is why we can go forward and carry out this call to give our all when somebody wants to take it away. Because we realize what Jesus has done for us. He stripped away his glory so that you and I can enter into glory. He became poor so that you and I can become rich. He gave it all away. And that is why we should be willing to give it away to model, model in the steps of our Savior to be just like Him. Now in our main text here in Matthew 5, 
And these, these next two verses in 41, Jesus, he moves away from the, I call it the passive approach to kingdom righteousness, the turn the other cheek, the turn over your cloak to the active approach, the active approach to kingdom righteousness. And he says in verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him two. When it comes to going the, the extra mile, that's where we get that saying from, go the extra mile, right? There's so many biblical sayings that people say. Just a little, little side note, um, a lady at my job, she sent out this email and she, she's not a believer. And she was talking about one of our, my coworkers, he did his good deed. And she was like, such and such was such a good Samaritan. <laughs> and I emailed her and I said, I love the biblical reference. <laughs> People don't even realize that. They just, they say it, but they don't realize it's the scriptures. And so we say, go the extra mile. It's the scriptures. But when it comes to going the extra mile, scholars say that Jesus was referring to two things or likely referring to two things. He's referring to or alluding to the Roman postal system. Remember, they didn't have post offices like we do. And so they were saying that it was part of Roman law to take ordinary citizens to carry a message. And um, ordinary citizens would be required to go a minimum of one mile to uh, carry this message. The other reason they say that or the other thing they say that Jesus may have been alluding to was um, Roman soldiers. They say that Roman soldiers could make ordinary citizens carry their bags for like a mile because, you know, they had a lot of heavy equipment. They're always marching. And so they could make a, a citizen by right. It was a, a Roman law carry their bags for a mile. And so they said that, that this is what Jesus is getting this imagery from. He's he's referring to this uh, th- this principle. But I want to say this. And if that is the case, this is an important point. If the historians got it right. If the historians got it right and that Jesus was alluding to carrying a message or delivering a bag, it tells us this about the kingdom life. That even in areas that seem small, such as delivering a message or carrying a bag, the believer cannot be Average. The believer cannot just do mediocrity. The believer cannot just do the minimum. Even in small manners as just carrying someone's bag, Jesus is showing that the believer, the kingdom person must always go above and beyond even in the smallest matters. Even if it means just carrying a message, Jesus is not for average. He's not for mediocrity. He said, even in these small matters, you as my representative, you will go above and beyond when it comes to service to someone else. We cannot be average. We cannot give the minimum. We cannot do the bare minimum when it comes to service to others. Jesus is showing us it doesn't matter if they are forcing you, if they're being rude to you and your service to others. You are representing the kingdom of God. And because you are representing the kingdom of God, your effort must always go above and beyond the status quo. It must always go beyond the minimum. We don't do minimum as believers. We don't do mediocrity as believers when it comes to our service towards others. We go above and beyond. And that is what Christ shows us here in this text. He says, if he's asking you to go one mile, sorry, Sister Debbie, if he's asking you to go one mile, 
to carry his bags, if that's what he's alluding to. If he's asking you to go one mile just to deliver a message, you're finna go above that one mile. You're finna go two now. See, we always as believers must go above and beyond the average, above the minimum when it comes to service to others. That is your responsibility, my brothers and sisters. We can't slack. The world can't slack. The world can just do the minimum what the law requires. The Roman law said only a mile. Hey, this is only a mile. But no, not as kingdom people. When it comes to our service, our work, we go beyond that. So you must challenge yourself in those moments of service. In those moments of service to others when you're thinking about yourself and you're saying, I just want to do the bare minimum. No, there is no bare minimum when it comes to the kingdom life. We go beyond that. We go above that. Now, the next verse, Jesus shows us again. He's he's emphasizing. He says, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. I want to first set this out here. D.A. Carson, he, he in his commentary on this verse, he talks about how he had a student. It was in Cambridge. And he took this verse literally about give to him who asks for you, uh, who ask of you. And so anybody who act, would ask something of him, he would give it away. And he said that this person end up going into bankruptcy because he took that literal, just like some people take literal. If my right eyes, uh, uh, cause me to sin to pluck it out. And some people have literally done that. This person had take this literally as far as giving to others to the point where he went broke. And he was actually even helping people in their bad habits because he would be supplying alcohol to other people. So he took that literally like whatever somebody asked me, doesn't matter. Give it to him and I'm obeying the scripture of God. And, and his heart was right. He wanted to just be obedient to Jesus. But no, that is not the context that Jesus has given us here. He's showing us as believers, we have to be the ones that are going to meet needs and we have to be the ones who are going to give. Yes, we have to use wisdom in our giving and, and our offering, but this is a responsibility of the kingdom of God. This is a responsibility of kingdom of God. People that we are givers first, that we are thinking about the needy, that we are willing to lend, that we are willing to help those in need. Because if it comes to a person who's trying to borrow, that means they don't have it. When it comes to a person asking, it means they don't have. So he said, we as believers have to take this up. We have to be active in our kingdom righteousness by meeting the needs of those who don't have. And this is a challenge. But again, it all goes back to the gospel. What did Jesus do for us? We didn't have. We weren't sufficient. Christ came in and gave us life. We were the poor beggars. We were the ones that are without. We were the ones that were naked. We are the ones that didn't have life. But Christ came and gave us life. So everything always goes back to the gospel. If God has done this for us, then we ought to demonstrate this righteousness, this kingdom righteousness to others as well. So my brothers and sisters, in my closing, I want you to just really think on what Jesus is showing us here. We have a responsibility to give even when it hurts, even when it may be our last. But we do it because we know that our God will supply all of our needs. We understand that we cannot be average when it comes to serving others. When it comes to our service to others, we cannot just do the bare minimum. 
That is not what God is calling us to be as kingdom children. As kingdom children, he's calling us to go above and beyond what the average person would do. We demonstrate God's righteousness. And then he shows us that whatever the need is, we as believers have to meet needs of people. We of of all people, we are the ones because we know that we were needy as well. We know that we were lacking as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. We must walk in righteousness following you. We thank you for the example, the eternal example you showed us, Lord. And we witness right now in our life this gospel that has worked and done miraculous things in our life. God, we thank you for it. God, allow this word to just minister to my brothers and sisters in their heart as they go throughout their day. Remind them of their calling to sacrifice for others, to meet the needs, to not respond in like manner, but to trust in you in all things, knowing that you will make all things right. It is you we love. It is you we look to. In Jesus' name, amen.